Good evening, everyone, and once again, welcome to our Bible study in the book of Romans. Uh, tonight, we're going to be finishing up the last verses of chapter 1, verses 21 to 32, and the title of our study is The Exchange. Now, I want to begin tonight by asking a question. What to you is the most valuable thing in the universe? You know, if I ask most people that question, I think our minds probably go to uh, the lives of our children, uh, our grandchildren, something like that. Most people would say a, a human life or, or maybe a, a human soul. But it turns out that the most valuable thing in the universe is not a human life or a human soul. The most valuable thing in the universe is the glory of God. Romans eleven thirty six, Paul puts it this way. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. You see, a human life, a human soul, uh, they emanate from Christ. They are uh, created through him. They exist for him. It is his glory that is the most important thing, the most valuable thing that exists in this universe. Yet, for some reason... We just don't seem to recognize or acknowledge this. In fact, it's even worse than that. We treat his glory with such contempt that we literally exchange it for other things. We, we trade it away. And it turns out that this, this, this failure to acknowledge and value the glory of God is the most fundamental bottom line root problem in our lives, in our culture and in this world. Read, let's read verses 21 to 23. Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for. You see, that's our wickedness. That's our mutiny. That's our disease. That's our treason. Our failure to acknowledge the glory of God as the great value that it is, that's foundational in our life to all other sin. All evils of this world spring or flow from that particular spring. Now, Paul is going to show that to us today. And he's going to talk to us about four exchanges. He's going to actually mention the word exchange three times. But he's going to talk about four different exchanges that we Make. Let's look at the first one in verses 22 and 23. He said, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So here's the, the first exchange that we make, the glory of God for images of man and animals. Now we, of course, have a name for that, and we call it idolatry. Now what Paul wants to do is he wants to point out the absolute foolishness of this exchange. And, and I want you to look at the words that he used, because he's really brilliant uh, when, it, when he comes to his use of language. Watch what he says. He says in verse 23, We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Now here's the thing. We know that man himself, mankind, is, an, is made in the image or is a copy of God, if you will. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
So as human beings, we are copies of God, if you will. Now, we're not God. We're not omniscient or omnipotent or any of those things. But we're different from animals. We are rational beings, logical beings. We're self-aware. We, we're creative. We, we have all these different attributes that we have because we're made in the image of God, things that other creatures don't have. But I want you to notice something. Paul is not saying in his passage that we trade the worship of God for the worship of, of another human being. Now, by the way, that in itself would be ludicrous because who would change, exchange the original for a copy? But what we do is even dumber than that. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. So we don't change the glory of God just to worship a human being. We change, exchange the glory of God to worship an image or a copy of a human being. In other words, we exchange the original for a copy of a copy. Now, that's dumb enough, but Paul wants to point out something else. Look at verse 23. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. See, Paul is saying you're exchanging a diamond for a peach left at the back of the refrigerator. You're exchanging a ruby for a banana left out in the sun. You're exchanging a, a gold bar for an for a iron bolt left out in, in the rain. I mean, how stupid is this exchange? And that is exactly Paul's point, what he wants us to see. He's emphasizing the infinite difference in value between what we're trading away, the glory of God, and what we're getting in return, images resembling mortal man and, and creatures and creeping things. He, he just cannot absolutely understand it. You know, there's a passage in Isaiah 44 that I like to bring up from time to time. You know, one of the things I like about the Bible, it, it sometimes can have a little bit of, it, it can be a little bit sarcastic, to be quite honest with you. And, and, and Isaiah 44 is a great example of this. Listen to this. It says, Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? The woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure and he gives it human beauty and he puts it in a little shrine. And he uses part of the wood to make a fire. And with it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. And here's what the Bible says. Yes, it's true. Like, can you believe it? He takes the rest of the wood and he makes himself a god to worship. He makes himself an idol and he bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. And he says, man, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and he makes his god. And he falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my god. Such stupidity and ignorance. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. It's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to break my, bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? The poor deluded fool. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Now, I want to stop and pause right here for a moment. Because there's something I need to address. A lot of times, like in Romans 1, when we're talking about idolatry in the Bible, I've noticed over the years that a lot of uh, modern Christians, modern Americans, if you will, tend to kind of check out. And they think, well, you know what? We don't worship idols. I don't have little figurines sitting on my, uh, on my desk or on the dash of my car. I, you know, that really is not about me. 
So I'm going to ask a question. Do Americans have idols? You know, idols are just false gods. They're false in the sense that they do not represent the true and living God in the Bible. Now, I'm going to say this. Although we may not think Americans have false gods, I'm here to tell you today that absolutely we do. What, what many people have done in this country is they've set up a false god in their image. It's a god that loves America. It's a god that loves mamas and babies and guns and money and prosperity. It's this god, this, this god we've created in our own image. I'm going to be honest with you. It's a God that lets you act like the devil on Saturday night and then come and worship at his feet on Sunday morning. It's a God that never judges, a God that never holds you accountable for sin. And we even call this God Jesus. Now, I thought I'd want to give you an example, and I could literally give you hundreds. I'm going to give you a couple. I just read this past Friday that uh, there's a new number one song on the Christian charts, uh, a duet between with Zach Williams and, and Dolly Parton. I, I think it's called Give Me Jesus or something about Jesus. Beautiful song. I listened to it. Sounds great. But folks, Dolly Parton has a CD called Love Rocks that benefits the homosexuals. Dolly Parton is a known advocate of gay marriage and gay rights and, and the homosexual lifestyle. Folks, that cannot be so. James 3.11 says, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. You cannot have it both ways. It, can, it has to be one or the other. You see, we've created this God, though, that just we can just call him Jesus and, and sing about Jesus, and, and he's not going to judge us if we, if we go against the Bible. And we end up just finding crazy stuff. I ran across this thing on Twitter this week where this woman said, I'm a Christian and I don't go to church. I'm a Christian and I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. I'm a Christian and I believe LGBTQ people are divine and should lead us. What God is she worshiping? See, the fact is, if your God is different from the God of the Bible, then you can call yourself a Christian. You can name that God. You can call Him Jehovah. You can call Him Allah. You can call Him Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, it is a false God and it is not the true and living God of the Bible. We may not worship pieces of wood, but if your life is driven by anything other than the desire to honor Christ and His Word, then folks, you've already made the same exchange. You've already exchanged the glory of the Almighty, universal Creator for something made in your own likeness and in your own image. Now, there's two more exchanges that Paul wants to bring out. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged, and there's the word, the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So far, you'll notice Paul's mentioned three exchanges, and they have all have to do with God. We exchange the glory of God for images. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we exchange the creator for the creation. Those are the three exchanges. Now he's got one more. He's going to use this word one more time in this passage. Look at verses 26 and 27. For this reason, what's he talking about? Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Because they exchanged the glory of God for an, for an image made in their likeness. Because they exchanged the, uh, uh, the worship of the creator for the worship of the creation. For this reason, God gave them up 
to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up or exchanged natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now notice this exchange is different. It is the exchange of the natural use of our sexual desires for the unnatural. And of course, we have a name for that, and we call it homosexuality. Now, the Bible is explicitly clear that homosexuality is a sin. Uh, not only here in Romans 1, but in, in, in passages like 1 Corinthians 6, where it specifically lists homosexual offenders as wicked people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, I, I wanna, I, I don't, I'm not here tonight to focus on that. I want to ask a question, though. Why does Paul, right here, pull out the sin of homosexuality? Why does he put the focus on homosexuality? Well, I'm going to explain that to you. In Ephesians, we learn that marriage between a man and a woman is, is not just God's design, but it also carries a greater purpose. It is meant to represent the relationship between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, Paul says it this way, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul says this, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, the marriage between a man and a woman, refers to Christ and the church. You see, in a marriage, a man represents Christ. The woman represents the church. Christ and the church in this covenant relationship are represented by the man and the woman, the male and the female, in this covenant sexual union. See, this is why Paul puts his focus here on homosexuality, because it is the most egregious example of what happens when we live, leave God out of the equation. It is the most egregious example of what happens when we refuse to acknowledge God and honor and worship Him as our Creator. See, what Paul, the reason he brings out homosexuality is because he wants us to see the terrible effects of what happens when you suppress the truth of God. See, if you reject God, if you distort God, if you recreate God in your own image, the effects are worse than you expect. Let me say that again. If, if you distort God, if you recreate God in your own likeness, according to your own desires, the effects are worse than we expect. Now, why do I say that? You see, God doesn't just leave us alone in our rebellion. God doesn't just take his hand off and say, you know, if you want to go that way, I'm going to let you go. No, God takes an active role in delivering us up to the debase effects of our rebellion. That's what Paul says at least three times in chapter 1. God gave them up. God handed them over. God gave them up. Let me see if I can put it another way. God's response to our treason, God's dis response to our disloyalty, is to make sure that we sink into the cesspool that we've chosen. You see, if you want something more than God, if you desire something more than God, if you prefer something more than God, then let me tell you, God will give it to you. You see, there's something people really don't understand about what's going on in our culture right now. I hear people say it all the time. Our, our debased behavior deserves judgment. Folks, it doesn't just deserve judgment. It is judgment. 
the very fact that, that all this stuff is going on, God has handed us over. God has given us up to the, to the thing that we want more than Him, and the effects are worse than we could ever imagine. I hear it all the time. What is wrong with our society? Well, don't you understand Paul's answering that question for us right here in the first chapter of Romans? You see, the root of all our disorders doesn't matter if they're emotional or, or, or social or sexual or whatever the case may be. The root of all of it is the exchange of the glory of God for other things. You see, we are made, we are created to orbit around the glory of God as our sun, so to speak. And we've exchanged that anchor for absolute weightlessness. Is it any wonder that we're decaying? Is it any wonder that disorder reigns in our world, in our culture, and in our society? Now, I want to answer one final question. Because at this point, some, somebody might say, well, you know what, wait just a second. If God gives us up, why isn't everybody, why don't everybody go all the way to be homosexual? Because not everyone is. Does that mean I'm okay if I'm not? No, Paul's got one more little thing that he wants to add. Verses 28 and 31. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, there it is again, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, why does Paul give us this list? Because Paul wants to show us it's not just about homosexuality, that virtually every form of sin and evil comes from the same basic spring, the same basic root, which is failing to know him and love him and treasure him and honor him and value him above all things. See, Paul gives us this list because he wants us to understand that sin in any area of our life is always owing first and foremost to our abandonment of God. Listen, if America has the highest murder rate in the, in the modern world, if our executives and our businesses are greedy, if our politicians are deceitful and lying, it all has to do with God. It's because they've abandoned God as their, as their primary and true value. If we gossip about each other behind one another's backs, if our children are disobedient, if we're untrustworthy and don't keep our marriage vows, if we're unloving and unmerciful and unforgiving, listen, it all has to do with our relationship with God. That's the point of the list. Because we refuse to acknowledge Him, God gave them up. You see, whenever and wherever we find ourselves sinking in sin, it is because we have untied our anchor from the rock of the knowledge of the glory of God. Now we come to the very last verse in chapter 1. And I'm going to get, tell you, it gives us a bleak view of the human condition. Verse 32, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. The this is really, I mean, think about how bleak this is. The end point of our depravity is not just a suicidal love affair with sin. The end point is a desire to bring others with you, to, to draw others and take them down to destruction with you. 
See, people are not only choosing death for themselves, but they're bringing others with them by approving their sin. Let me tell you, when you get to chapter 1 and you've read all this, it, as I said, it is a bleak view, but that's how we should feel. That's what exactly what Paul wants us to see, that the human race is in trouble, that this world needs a Savior. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. As I've this week uh, been reading and, and listening to things online, I've just understood what a what a darth of truth there is in this world and we're, we're we're hearing things from everywhere and we can't rely on people or trust people to tell us the truth but we can always trust you we can always come back to your word and know that you will tell us the truth thank you god even though sometimes it's not easy to hear i thank you for telling us the truth lord as as a people here at river of life god i just ask you if we've got sin in our life, if we've got things in our life that are not pleasing to you, God, just some way, make sure that we understand that it's owing to somewhere in our life we've abandoned you. Somewhere in our life we've put other things in front of you. God, point that out to us. Through the Holy Spirit, shine a light on that and help us make it right. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.